Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. Happy Easter to you. Good to see your smiling faces this morning. Some of you guys aren't smiling. I'm the smile police. For those of you visiting with us, welcome to River Bible Church. My name is Dustin. I'm the pastor here. Um, If you would like a Bible, we've got some Bibles in the back. That's our gift to you if you'd like to take that home. Um, Before we get started here, let let me me pray for us, and uh, we'll get to today's message. Father, the psalmist writes, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. And when he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life, and I will show him my salvation. Father, today is the day of salvation. We get to open up your word and learn about Resurrection Sunday and what your son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. As we open up your word, Lord, and we read this story, please reveal the amazing truths that only you can. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 15 today. Mark chapter 15. And let me set this thing up. Today, we are celebrating the most significant event in human history. Today, we are celebrating the best day ever. What is the best day ever, you ask? Well, we are recognizing, we are honoring the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the very foundation of the Christian faith. It's the reason that we're here today. It's the reason that the church exists. Without Jesus walking out of his own grave and that tomb being empty, there is no such thing as heaven. In fact, the Word of God says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13. If there's no resurrection of the dead then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching, that's useless. You guys are just wasting your time listening to me. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. And if Christ has not been raised, you're still guilty in all of your sins. So dear friends, if we are still guilty of our sins today, we've got a problem We got a problem we can't solve. Well, what exactly is that problem? Well, let's find out. I'm going to um, I'm going to read a fairly large piece of scripture today, Mark chapter 15, verse 1, uh, to chapter 16, verse 8. 
This is going to take me about 10 to 12 minutes to do. And normally what I do is I, I read that passage, the whole passage, and then I go verse by verse and teach, teach it. Rather than going back and doing that, I'm going to explain why we still have a problem if that tomb is not empty. Fair enough? Yes. All right. So Mark chapter 15, verse 1. As soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders and the scribes and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests tied Jesus up, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? And he said, you say so. And the chief priest accused him of many things, and Pilate questioned him again, aren't you going to answer? Look, look how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer, so Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas, who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. And Pilate answered him, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of, of envy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that they would release Barabbas instead. And Pilate asked again, What do you want me to do with the one that you call the king of the Jews? And again they shouted, Crucify him. And Pilate said, Why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So, wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, and called the whole company together, and they dressed Jesus in a purple robe, they twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on him. And they began to salute Jesus, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were hitting Jesus on the head with a stick, and they were spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. And after they had mocked Jesus, they stripped him of the purple robe, and they put his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. His name was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. And they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. And then they crucified Jesus. And they divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide which each would get. Now, it was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified Jesus, and the inscription of the charge written against him was King of the Jews. They crucified two criminals with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by were yelling insults at Jesus. And they were shaking their heads saying, Ha, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. Come down off that cross. 
In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes, they were mocking him among themselves and saying, you know, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. Let the Messiah, let the King of Israel come down now from that cross so that we can see and then we'll believe. And even those who were crucified with Jesus taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus, he cried out with a loud voice. He said, Eloi, Eloi, lama subachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, well, see, he's, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine. They fixed it on a stick. And they offered him a drink. And they said, well, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. And Jesus let out a loud cry, breathed his last. And then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way that he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God There were also women watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and Joses, and Salome. In Galilee, these women followed Jesus. They took care of him. And many other women had come up with Jesus to Jerusalem. And when it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea a prominent member of the Sanhedrin who was looking himself forward to the kingdom of God, he came and he boldly went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate was surprised. Jesus was already dead. So summoning the centurion, he asked whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. After that, he bought some linen cloth. Joseph took him down. And he wrapped him in linen. Then he laid Jesus in a tomb cut out of the rock and rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joses, were watching where Jesus was laid. And then when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they bought spices so that they could go and anoint Jesus. And then very early in the morning, On the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise, and they were saying to one another, well, who's going to roll away this stone? Looking up, they noticed that that stone, which was very, very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and and they were alarmed. And he said, no, don't, don't don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, he was crucified, but he's risen. He's not here. See, look, see the place where they put him? But you go, you tell his disciples and you tell Peter that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you're going to see him there just as he told you. (laughs) So they, they ran out from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. And these are the very words from God for us this morning. So let me start with a question. 
What would you think if you were standing with those women and you heard those words? He's not here. What do you mean? What do you mean he's risen? What do you mean he's not here? No, 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 no. See, you, you don't understand. See, I watched him die on that cross. I watched Joe take him down, and I watched him place him in this tomb. I, I know exactly where this body is. What do you mean he's not here? The most incredible and inconceivable words a human being will ever hear is in verse 16. He's risen. He's not here. So why? Why are those the most remarkable words we could ever hear? Well, to understand the good news of the gospel, we have to understand what's so good about it. And if there is something good about the good news, that that presumes then that there also must be bad news. Someone asks you, well, I've got good news for you and i got bad news for you. Which one do you usually pick first? We're going to start with the bad news first. The bad news is that the world is broken. Shouldn't be a shocker to any one of us, right? We can all agree on that. This past year, boy, I tell you, it has magnified, it has intensified the world's brokenness to an all-time high. It doesn't matter what generation that you come from. I mean, have you ever thought that mask or no mask would cause so much anger and outrage? Or, or one of the biggest news stories is that this, this famous Hollywood producer, he's guilty of sexual assault. I mean, is that, a, is that really, does that surprise you? Hollywood? I mean, is it a surprise that, that the country is trying to burn itself down with race riots? I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. Same story. So when you watch the 6 o'clock news, same story, different players. And it's not just creation that's broken. It's, it's not just mankind. It's not just the human race. Even creation is broken, right? So 2020 was an all-time high for the number of hurricanes. Hurricane Laura slammed into Louisiana. We had wildfires burning California down to the ground. And if it's not Mother Nature doing the burning, then it's the politicians. So that brings us to key point number one. The world's brokenness is a collective sum of our individual brokenness. The world's brokenness is a collective sum of our individual brokenness. So if we're just a little bit honest with ourselves this morning, we'll admit we don't have it all together, that we're far from perfect. That was a great place for an amen. And you guys just leave me up here all the time. Thank you. We are far from perfect. We're, we're pretty messed up. And regardless of how hard we try not looking broken, we are. And we try to fix our brokenness through all the things that this world has to offer. Right? We try it with work. We try it with money, food, technology, pornography, drugs, alcohol. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we use to numb the pain of our life because the problem will never be solved by what's at the bottom of the bottle of our choosing. The world offers no solutions to this broken world. They have opinions, yes, but they don't have the truth. 
the world, they, the world certainly has no answers to spiritual questions. Like, is there a God? Is there a supreme being that is in control of the cosmos? Is there someone who knows what's going on and understands what's going on? What am I here for? What's my purpose? Where am I going? See, God does offer answers to those questions, and and his answers are found in his word, the Bible. And to understand the beauty of the gospel this morning, we have to understand what the actual problem is. Today's problems are not COVID. Today's problems are not perverted Hollywood producers. It's not politicians. It doesn't matter what flavor of, if you're a Republican or a Democrat, it doesn't matter if, if uh, pornography is the problem, uh, critical race theories, what, those are not the problems. God calls our problem sin. He calls it sin. So key point number two for us today. Sin means to step over or to go around God's law. Sin means to step over or to go around God's law. It's missing the mark of perfection. Sin is a total disregard for who God is. Adam and Eve, they sinned when they ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from. And when they sinned, they they ran from God, right? They hid. They, They tried to withdraw themselves from the very presence of Almighty God. They tried to physically conceal themselves with itchy fig leaves, of all things. That's what sin does. It makes you stupid. They actually thought that was a really good idea. They wanted to be left alone. They ran from the sunlight into the darkness. They they wanted to keep their actions a secret. They knew that they sinned. They knew they were naked. And because of their nakedness, they felt shame. And this sin and this shame, it forces them into hiding. So, of course, they hid, right? They willfully, they consciously rebelled against God, who is the supreme being of the universe. They did the one thing, the one thing they weren't supposed to do. And we've been doing that same thing ever since. It's called the fall of mankind. So by its simplest definition, sin is just rebellion. Adam and Eve's first sin, it did not come from eating the fruit. It actually came before that. Their sin was a personal decision here. They chose to sin. They chose to rebel from God, against God. But once that decision was made, it was only a matter of time before behavior followed. So key point number three, sin is why the world is broken. Sin is why the world is broken. And dear friends, sin is why you're broken. In other words, sin is the bad news part of the gospel. I mean, I I get it. We we don't like to be called sinners, but we are. And and I think it's really important for us to, to know the truth. Because in the, in the world and the culture that we live in today, the world says that man is basically good. And God is. He's whatever I identify him to be. 
So the world has a very wrong view of God. Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. It's the unholy trinity of mankind. So key point number four, and this is so important. A wrong view of God leads to a wrong view of sin. A wrong view of God leads to a wrong view of sin. See, the world says that man's greatest problems come from outside of himself. That we are victims of circumstance. And they point to social issues and and political differences and socioeconomic factors. And they blame education and, and race theories and blah, blah, blah. But see, God in his word, he teaches the very opposite. God teaches that we're not victims, but instead we're criminals. God teaches through the scriptures that a man, that man is fallen. We are a fallen creature in that our heart is morally corrupt. So dear friends, we are a rebellious people. We are disobedient. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. We are stubborn. We are pushy. We are rude. We are presumptuous and arrogant. And God calls all of that sin. He calls it lawlessness. So basically, that's a, that's a big fancy word, right? Lawlessness. We're a law unto ourselves. So you get pulled over by the police officer. Do you know the speed limit? No? It's whatever I want it to be. I'm a law unto myself. We practice lawlessness in two main ways. Number one, by openly defying God. We just defy him. And number two, simply just being apathetic, unconcerned, we're indifferent. God schmod. We don't need God. See, that's lawlessness. Scripture also says that sin is hostile. We are, we are born demanding freedom. And we are hostile towards anyone or anything that even hints at taking this illusion of freedom away from us. What are the first two words children learn? No. No. What's the other one? Mine. Mine. Question, who taught them that? Mom and dad. Wrong answer. No one taught them that. That's their nature. Just as dogs bark and cats meow, sinners sin. Back in Phoenix, um, my office was close to a a daycare, and they had a a big recess area, a playground, and, and I was going to lunch one day, and all of a sudden I hear this. Johnny, don't even think about it. And it was like the world went into slow motion. One, one thousand, two, one thousand. And all of a sudden, you hear this little girl start to cry. What did little Johnny do? He pushed her down. He threw something at her. He hit her. Why did, why did little Johnny do that? Because it's his nature. It's his nature. Scripture goes on to say that sin is an abomination. It's an abomination. 
And I think abomination is really the best and most appropriate word for sin. Abomination, it means foul, vile. It's disgusting. So to put it simply, any and all forms of sin are an abomination to the Lord. Because of sin, human beings, we have fallen short of God's glory. We have fallen short of his perfect standards of how to live this life. Now, why is that? Because the human heart is totally depraved. Scripture says that we have no hope without change. So, dear friends, we're not living in the original state in which God created us. Our whole being, our our personhood, has been thoroughly perverted by sin. Because of Adam and Eve, all people are born as morally corrupt sinners. So we have inherited their sin. Now, wait a second, that's not fair. Come on, Dustin, that was a long time ago, man. That was like Genesis chapter 3. Whether that's fair or not, that's a different sermon on, for a different day. But we all have our own personal sin, don't we? We've all willingly broken God's commands. Now, to say that fallen man is totally depraved, that does not mean that he is as bad or as immoral as he could be. That doesn't mean that every deed that he does is evil. What it does mean, though, is that depravity has impacted, it has affected our whole being, our minds, our bodies, our souls, our wills. Total depravity also doesn't mean that mankind is incapable of of doing good things. Fallen man can sometimes do good things, depending on what your definition of good is. Total depravity does mean, however, that all people are born with a great propensity and inclination towards evil. And from a spiritual perspective, depravity means that we are all born spiritually dead. We're physically alive, but we are spiritually dead. And because we're spiritually dead, we live as a practical atheist. We sin because we love our sin. Fallen man cannot love God because it's impossible for him to love God. If Scripture says that we're spiritually dead, then a corpse can't make that decision. And you say, wait, 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 wait. I thought I had free will. I thought I had a choice in all this. Well, Scripture does say that you are free to choose. But since you're depraved, you will always choose evil. So in other words, man does have free will, but he doesn't have a good will. A depraved man has ill will because we're in bondage to our own depravity. And then scripture goes on and says a fallen man cannot know God, love God, seek God, or obey God. Scripture says that fallen man cannot help himself, that we are without hope. Scripture says, oh, you're going to love this one. You ready? Scripture says that we are a slave to Satan. Now, I know very few people are going to confess to that, right? 
Uh, come on, Dustin, I, I'm not following the devil. But what Scripture does testify is that Satan works through everyone who lives in disobedience to God. And we think to ourselves, are we really that bad? Come on, are we really that bad? What has the news and social media force-fed you over the past year in particular? I mean, we could sum all of this up in one word, depravity. And yet, we choose to live in this delusional age that demands that man is the very center of the universe. And we think to ourselves, well, you know, come on, that's for other people. I'm certainly not perfect, but I'm not depraved. Hmm. Let's try a little experiment. Let's say I were to give you a pair of glasses like these. You put these pair of glasses on, and as you put them on, they recorded every thought that went through your mind, and it, it, it made a movie of, of those thoughts. So the question becomes, would you be willing to come a year from now and allow us to watch your movie? No takers? What about for 30 days? I see lots of heads shaking now. What about one week? It's only seven days. Come on, guys, seven days. One day, 24 hours. Just one day. How about the rest of the sermon? I've only got like 10 minutes left. What's the point? Right? The, the point is that all of us, we know, we can listen to that and go, no way am I doing that because I am helpless, I am hopeless to save myself from this depravity that goes through my brain. Guys, we're all in a sinking boat. We're all on the same playing field. Nobody has special talents. Nobody has enough money to fix themselves from this thing called sin. The word of God says in Romans 3.12 that all have turned away. All have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good. Not even one. So the question becomes, where's the good news, Dustin? This is all bad, bad news. I know. So the question becomes, how is a fallen man made right with God? I mean, if there is no hope for a fallen man, then... See, we've just learned it's not only that a sinner cannot come to God, it's that he will not come to God. And because he won't come to God, Scripture tells us that every person deserves the same eternal fate in a very real place called hell. In other words, guys... This life is as good as it gets. That is the bad news of the gospel. There is no hope in and among ourselves for salvation. There's no way to fix our brokenness. There's no way to heal our depravity. And the reason that I went into such great, te- great detail on the depravity of man is that your eternal life is at stake this morning. I mean, can you imagine walking into the hospital just right across the street? Routine checkup. You're feeling fine. 
And the test reveals something very different. The doctor calls you back in. But the doc does not tell you what's wrong because he doesn't want to offend you. He doesn't want to upset you. But when you eventually found out the truth, how upset would you be? Yeah, that's an understatement. That scenario sounds a lot like Christian counseling to me as well. We're going to deal with all the issues, but we're not going to deal with the core problem. And this church, I want you guys to know, is a spiritual hospital. It is our duty to share the full counsel of Almighty God with you. So, dear friends, here is the good news. The reason that we celebrate Resurrection Sunday today is that God is holy. And it's out of his holiness that all of of the other attributes of God flow. So we know that God is love, yes. He's merciful, he's gracious, he's patient, and he is kind. But see, God is also just. God is also just. Meaning, God cannot wink at our sin. God must punish sin for him to be holy. And the punishment for our depravity and our pride and our rebellion to a holy God, once again, is this place called hell. Hell is where people experience the full weight of God's holy wrath against sin. The beauty of the gospel is that God knows that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing in me, there's nothing in the world to save ourselves. So what God did is he sent Jesus, God the Son, from heaven. Not here, he came from heaven, became a man to pay our sin debt. God says that sin is so serious that a sacrifice must be made, blood must be shed. So in the Old Testament, God told people to take a perfect lamb to make that sacrifice. Now the sacrifice only covered their sins. It was a temporary band-aid. However, this past Friday, it was called Good Friday. And the reason that it's called good is because Jesus is the lamb of God. And he doesn't cover your sin. He forgives your sin. He takes your sin away. So let me give you an illustration of what this looks like practically. The first place that Jesus bled from was his head. And Roman soldiers took their time and they twisted together and they created a crown of thorns. Now keep in mind that the Roman soldiers, they were perfectors of pain. So they forced this crown on Jesus' head and they beat it into his skull. Blood started to flow from from his head. Now, why is that detail important? Because of your thought life. All of your thoughts of anger and revenge and bitterness and lust and unforgiveness. See, the the good news of the gospel today is that Jesus Christ allowed those thorns to pierce his head to free you from those thoughts and those sins and those fantasies. Jesus' blood, it cleanses you of your thought life. And because Jesus, because his blood flowed from his head, you can now be forgiven. The second place that Jesus Christ bled from was his back. After the Roman soldiers got tired of mocking Jesus with the crown of thorns, they tied him to a pole. 
They beat his back with a, a short whip that was made of leather ropes. It's called a flagellum. A flagellum was explicitly designed to remove the skin of its victims quickly. So what the soldiers did is they beat Jesus, they flogged him, they scourged him beyond human recognition. Blood flowed from his back. Why? Because you've turned your back on God. You have run away. You have done your own thing. And dear friends, Jesus' blood flowed from his back for your sins. And now, now you can be made right with God. Now you can be forgiven. After his flogging, Jesus was forced to, to carry his own cross to, what is, to a place called the place of the skull. Roman soldiers took metal spikes and they nailed both of Jesus' hands to the cross. And blood flowed from his hands. Why? Because of all the times that you used your own hands to touch things or to hold things that you had no business touching. Or maybe you used your hands and your fist in anger. Or maybe you shook your fist at God. Dear friends, Jesus bled from his hands so you can be forgiven of those sins. The Roman soldiers took another metal spike and they pinned Jesus' feet to the cross and blood flowed from his feet too. Why? To pay for your sin. When you walked away from God, I mean, how many times have you run away from God into the arms of your own adulteress? So once again, Jesus' blood flowed from his feet for you so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be free. And after Jesus willingly died on that cross, keep in mind, nobody took his life from him. He willingly did this. He died to offer you new life. And finally, one of the soldiers, they took his spear. He took his spear. He thrust it into the side of Jesus. He pierced his, his heart. And then blood and water flowed out from Jesus' side. Blood and water are signs of a dead man. Physically, it's what you get with an autopsy. Spiritually, it's the symbol of the new promise. It's new life in Christ. So Jesus suffered the wrath of God so that you can have a relationship with him. And although Jesus' suffering and his death and his resurrection, see what happened there was that God's divine justice was satisfied. Sin is that serious. The wrath of God, the Father, was appeased on the cross. And it's only through Jesus to where God remains true, truly. He remains holy as a, a judge by punishing sin, but it's only in God himself to where he is both just and the justifier as well. See, God did both. God is both the judge and he became the criminal. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. So, how do you know this is true? How do you know I'm not just making this stuff up? Because Jesus did walk out of his own grave. Yeah. He did. See, the resurrection of Jesus proves two things, guys. Number one, it, it proves that Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is God. He is wrapped up in skin and bones. 
And it proves, secondly, that that God the Father has accepted Jesus' blood as the sacrifice for your sin. And because of what Jesus has done, you can now be saved from your sin. You can be saved from God's wrath. And you can be saved for God's purpose. All of this, this is why we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. This is why the gospel is not just the good news. It is the best news ever. Now, you do have a responsibility in all this. The gospel, this message is a free gift from God, but it's not an automatic gift. Your responsibility is to believe what you just heard. I want to show you the the most famous Bible verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son... That everyone who believes in Jesus, not going to perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. See, God isn't, he's not judging you. All those things that you've done, judgment comes later. That's Jesus' second coming. Jesus came this first time around to save us. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. This is is why people are guilty. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. See, guys, the the gospel of Jesus Christ is a two-sided coin. We've got one, one side that is forgiveness, and we've got the other side that is judgment. This message is not salvation to everyone. It's salvation to everyone who believes. I have one more scripture passage to show you, and then I'm done. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. The Word of God says, If anyone is in Christ, well, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And he's not counting their trespasses, that sin, against them. He has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So that's the church. So therefore, we, we as the church, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. So the church, we as the church, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. See, he made the one, he made Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin, to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And working together with him, we, the church, we also appeal to you. Don't receive this grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. But see now, right now is the acceptable time. This is the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation. So what happens when you believe? 
What, what happens is, is that Jesus, he experienced the wrath of God on that, on that cross. So when we believe, Scripture says that our sins have been transferred to him on the cross. Jesus experienced that wrath. But see, it doesn't stop there. Jesus' goodness, his holiness, his righteousness is then transferred to us. It is imputed to us. So dear friends, when John 3.16 says, this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, God took that wrath off our shoulders and put it on Jesus. If you have any questions about this message, about the Bible, about Jesus, about the gospel, um, dear friends, I I pray that you would get those questions answered today. Uh, We're going to be breaking some bread and having some fellowship here in just a few minutes. We've got a prayer room through the foyer and and to the right, and uh, we would invite invite you back there to get those questions answered. Father in heaven... Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this celebration called Resurrection Sunday. It it just seems too good to be true. To, To wrap our brain around what you did for us. But it is true. And may we never get higher, never get tired of hearing this glorious message. Those of us who have been in the church and have been walking with you for quite some some time. May we never get tired of it. May you relight this fire in our hearts to share this message with others. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for allowing us to come and worship you. And now thank you for allowing us to stay and celebrate Resurrection Sunday. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.